We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to Prem Pata. It's a special edition of the show this week for unfortunate reasons. Normally it will be behind the Patreon paywall, uh, myself and Norm, talking about the weekend's latest happenings in the Premier League. But obviously big news broke over the weekend around the European Super League proposals. So we are, um, as I say, unfortunately going to take a dive into that and all the misery that that's going to bring up and uh, as a as a, a special occasion we've got Alex Hurst on a voice you'll recognize well from many podcasts and all over your social media I'm sure um, to go into the weeds of this with us as well so how are you doing lads? Spot on Meg thank you mate always a pleasure to speak with you on a Monday any day really but Monday especially. I was doing a lot better before I heard about all this bollocks, mate. Indeed, indeed. Some very, very needy clubs um, crying out for some attention again. Um, let's just start things off and I'll take us through the facts of where we are and, and what's been announced so far as of late on Sunday evening. Um, a very honourable time to put out news. Um, so what we've got so far... Um, this proposed European Super League, um, six of the the so-called big clubs in the Premier League have signed up to it. So we've got Man United, Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea and Spurs all involved with this, along with uh, the Milan clubs, Juventus, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid. Now, these clubs anticipate a further three clubs will join ahead of the inaugural season. Um, and essentially, they will be setting up their own competition, heavily funded um, by, at the moment, um, about $5 billion has been committed to this new project by JP Morgan, um, the American bankers. And there will essentially be none of the jeopardy that makes sport what it is. So these founding clubs will be immune from any relegation from this. There will be um, five spaces each year for teams to qualify for the honour of, of playing in this competition as well. Um, but their aim is that this is going to be a midweek competition and they still expect to compete in their own domestic competitions, which has, for obvious reasons, um, brought a, a hell of a lot of backlash um, from across 
football from across all governing bodies across Europe and of course from from fans as well so starting this off um Alex as a as a guest we'll we'll let you go first uh, out of politeness um why um for out of many reasons is this so offensive and engendered such a you know across the board such a negative reaction Thanks, Mike. Well, there's, a, there's a number of reasons, and some of them are connected, and some of them are football-related, and some of them are, are are kind of moralistic. But I think that there's just there's a. I think when they tell this story, whatever happens next, when they tell this story in a hundred years, hmm. you you the at the heart of it, you've got some football clubs who who have burst onto the the scene on a Sunday night, and they've said. You know, was that film Captain Phillips when the pirate gets on the ship and goes, I'm the captain now? The, the, the like Napoleon, when he crowned himself emperor, grabbed the crown off the Pope and said, I'm emperor now. It's like they're like, This is our game now. This is our game. We we make the rules. This is our game. And and that in itself is grossly offensive and and just really, really sad about how, how we've come to this point. It's it's kind of strange. It's probably the only thing in my lifetime as an adult that has united everyone. Yeah. There isn't anyone who, who, who favours this. There isn't a genuine football fan, pundit, journalist, ex-player who's thought, good idea this, <laughs> wish it would come around sooner. And I think that the one of, you know, you've, you've got different layers of complexities and different layers of who has, you know, dealt the worst harm by it. And and, and I have to say that at the, at the top would be the fans of those clubs um, you know, in England, for example, but all, but also in the other countries, you've got the fans of those clubs who who have to, well, now for, those clubs are forever tainted. And I'm sure we'll get onto it later in the show about what happens next. Those clubs are forever tainted. That's never, it's never going to, it's never going to leave them. It's not, this is, this is, this is too, too grotesque a spectacle for anyone to just forget about this. A bit like Project Big Picture, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well. We kind of just moved on from it. The football clubs, which is, you know, I want to talk about how amateur the whole thing has, has actually been. They ended up voting against their own proposals in the Premier League meeting, which is hilarious. But everyone, because of that, and because it was so roundly mocked, just kind of moved on and cracked on. I don't think there's any moving on from this. I think I think that, I mean, we're going to talk about this probably from an English football perspective more than most, because we're all English and all. This is a Newcastle United football podcast. But I think, I think there's an, an aspect of... Uh, realization for, for particularly those fans of those clubs, us as well, our clubs as well, that we are no longer really relevant. But you know, Man United fans, Liverpool fans, referred to as legacy fans, and and there is that realization from this that if they ever pretended to give a fuck about football supporters in this country, they definitely don't now. And that's the saddest thing because if you're a Liverpool fan, and listen, if Newcastle United were any good. Or Mike Ashley hadn't taken us over and was still one of the clubs. Say it was um, us in Spurs' place or us in Chelsea's place if Abramovich hadn't bought Chelsea and Norman's going to talk about that. You know, I, I, I very much doubt that that our clubs would have behaved differently. Maybe they'll say that they would. It's, it's impossible to know. But it's, it's a sad, it's got to be a sad day as a supporter of Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool and Man City to know that you, that your club has done this and they don't, they don't care what you think. They're not interested in your opinion they've just done it they haven't consulted with you that they don't care about what you are as a football fan to them 
Yeah, I, I think that's uh, I'd be interested to get your viewpoint on this norm as well. But that's kind of the point there about the, the difference between this and big picture. Now, project big picture was yeah, it, it seemed like it was presented more as a proposal, right? Whatever bad ideas there were in that, bad reasons it was more presented as a proposal. This seems like right we've made up our minds this is just done they've already you know they've already told us where this funding is coming from and, and jp morgan have come out with their statements as well they've already covered off um any potential um uh, legal challenges from uefa from fifa um about about banning players from certain competitions international competitions um you know they've got this all lined up and have basically said yeah this is not here for consultation this is done, this is what's going to happen, which is is a, a very sinister difference in how I've seen it communicated and how it's felt for me. Um, Norm, how has it resonated with you? Does it feel, do you agree with Alex that this is kind of the point of no return for, for those clubs and the relationship with their fans, really? If it goes ahead, absolutely. I mean, it, it makes a mockery of every relationship that a club over the last sort of, one of those clubs at least, over the last 10 to 15 years, has tried to pretend that it has with its fans. So you look at fans' liaison committees, for example, um, you know, the, the oh, yeah, we're, we're really, you know, invested in the local community, we're investing with fans, we're listening to our fans. That, that's, a, that's clearly a lie. Well, as soon as the money's dangled, then none of, none of that matters, right? Um, that, that's, that, that's the reality of it. And I think what... There, there are numerous factors, right? There, there are so many... As a fan, there's so many reasons to be angry. Um, the This on its own, the... The fact that these clubs are, you know, as as Alex says, they're just um, washing their hands with fans, right? That 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 on its own is is enough to make you angry. But at the same time, it, it highlights so much of the of the hypocrisy in top level football in Europe as it is right now. Because you think ultimately, right, the the kind of the genesis of this really it kind of started in the eighties, right? Ultimately, they were taught that when I was a kid, there was talk of a European Super League, and at the time, it was the Big Five in England, which included Everton at that point, because obviously they won a couple of titles, right? And I think what you got was you got the Champions League coming from that because of the this consistent talk of this European Super League. UEFA did something about it that created the Champions League, right? And the Champions League itself is a it's just a money machine, right? It's another it's, a, it's another money machine. And obviously now you're getting to the stage where these clubs aren't making enough to sustain themselves the way they are at the moment. So, for example, the two of the big drivers behind this are Real Madrid and Juventus, both clubs financially. They're absolutely desperate because they've lived above, way above and beyond their means over the last few years and, and they can't compete with the money in the, in the Premier League as well. So we've had this, as, as horrible as it is, we've kind of, it, it's not really a surprise. It, that's the, that's what it is. It, it's anger-inducing, but at the same time, it's almost, you're shrugging your shoulders and saying, well, I, I, of course, this was always coming. Um, and I think, you know, there are, I mean, I guess we could. I could go on. I could go on now and actually talk about the the kind of the kind of hypocrisy that comes from obviously the the Premier League coming out and um, condemning it. Um, the fact is that the Premier League itself permitted what once it created the Premier League. By the way, the Premier League was almost a breakaway from the football. It was a breakaway from the football league, in anyways, right? It all, it all already started creating a gap in wealth. You know, you look at parachute payments now, you look at teams getting relegated, the vast financial resources they have compared to other teams in the division. So there's already that gap there, right? And then the Premier League allows a Russian oligarch to come in, more or less no questions asked, and just absolutely change the whole landscape of, of football in this country in terms of the financial clout that Chelsea had. So when the Premier League comes out and criticises 
something like this, it does leave a bit of a bad taste in the mouth because it's like, well, actually, to a certain extent, you kind of set the ball rolling here. And um, that's that's how I perceive it. And I, and I could even boil it down to, you know, Sky Sports and, and people on Sky Sports coming out and condemning it when ultimately Sky Sports created the concept of pay behind the wall football. So it's all kind of interconnected. And I think the only ones who can actually take any real moral high ground here are probably the fans. So ultimately, if the fans want this to, I don't know, I don't say necessarily say stop because I think it's inevitable. But in terms of those clubs saying we're going to play in this league and we're going to play in the um, Premier League, well, the fans can actually have a say in that and, and basically put pressure on for them to be expelled. That's that's how I look at it right now. Yeah, it's grim, isn't it? And as you say, there are there, there have been kind of it's very odd to have the Premier League and other governing bodies acting as sort of moral arbiters about this when they, you know, there's a lot they've done that contributed to it. Um, Alex, I'm sure you've got more to say on on that issue. What what what, what I found really interesting there, lads, and what you said, Norman, is about the, the length of time that's led us here. And I remember back in 2017 listening to Five Live, and I think, might be wrong, might have been Paul Hayward of The Telegraph, who said that the pre-season tournaments like you see now every season where teams are being paid $3 million a game for Manchester United to play Real Madrid in Melbourne, Liverpool to play Inter Milan in Los Angeles. You know, he made, he made this prediction which kind of got laughed off by the other people in the studio and he said that will become the season. That the, the, They've realised they can make so much money from these kind of... Um, you know, attractive fixtures against other European giants that they will become the season. But he also said, and this is the this is the most interesting point. I'll bring it back to what you said, Norman. But he also said, and I might be giving Paul Howard loads of credit here. He might talk a lot of shade for Orlando, but I think <laughs> he doesn't listen, so it's all right. Um, <laughs> he also said that these teams could never leave the Premier League, and he said the solution to that is the European Super League. Because what, what you've got when it, when a football club stops becoming a football club and becomes a brand or a franchise, whatever name you want to use, it can't, you know, if you're going to, if, if you've determined like these clubs have that I'm using, I'm going to pick a country here, nothing against the people. I mean, my figures might be wrong, but if you think 1 million Spurs fans in China are more important than 60,000 Spurs fans predominantly in North London, when you make that decision, the problem with your 60,000 in North London is they will probably still be there no matter what. So if Spurs finish 15th next season, they'd still be there. If the only one, if they had a season like Newcastle having now, Newcastle are currently 15th, yes, it might, attendances might drop slightly, they'd get a load of shit in the stands, but they would predominantly still be there, that, that fan base. Your 1 million Spurs fans in China aren't going to be there. And the problem with Spurs, and I'm picking Spurs as the worst team, even though Arsenal are below them in the current Premier League table, Um is, is Arsenal and Spurs, I'd say, have signed up to do an Italy in the Six Nations here. They're not going to... How often are Spurs or Arsenal going to beat Real Madrid? Or if they join Paris Saint-Germain at Bayern, they're not going to beat them. So, 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 so Spurs and these other clubs, one of the issues they've got is they've got to stay in the Premier League because they, they have to win some games. Otherwise, the, the this, this digital fan base almost across the globe disappear pretty quick. And that's, that's the, the interesting thing about how we got here is from what Norman was saying about it being first mentioned in the eighties is we, as a, I'm going to use the term we as football fans who I'm going to, you two lads, plus most people listening, I assume 
we we all have a general understanding of what fo football culture in this country is. It's going to the match predominantly. It's a social event. And, and our experience of that has been chipped away since the formation of the Premier League. Kickoff time's changing. The price of tickets, like you say, Norman, pay-per-view pay, pay football, um, you know, agents' fees, player salaries, the the whole RAF VAR is probably the biggest one I can think of. In fact, something no one, no fan, in my opinion, or very few fans demanded. No one, no one was saying, I'm not going back to the match next season unless they bring in VAR. Not one fan in the country, I'm certain of it, said, I'm going to withdraw my support if they don't bring in a video assistant referee. But they brought it in anyway, not for us, for them, and for their one million Spurs fans in China. So, so we've been chipped away at until this point to get here, and we've just and we I use the word we have accepted it. Yes, there's there's been pushback. People haven't just gone, oh yeah, you know, Man City Everton in two thousand and four when it kicked off at eleven a.m. There was pushback. The twelve thirty kickoffs, the Monday night away games, we've pushed back, but ultimately we haven't pushed back enough. Right, going right, right far back to the formation of the Premier League, there was criticism. We haven't pushed back today or yesterday. Is a line in the sand moment. We, we cannot allow as football fans regardless of what the clubs do we might talk about it we cannot allow this to happen and i'll give you an example of why liverpool play leeds tonight in a game one of the few games that i would what was, was going to watch uh this season on on television because i despise the game without fans i hate var but you know big game for massive game for liverpool who are out of the champions league race until recently you know newcastle have done them a favor by beating west ham great opportunity to go in the top four when it was all but done a couple of weeks ago and Liverpool play Leeds. Leeds, fantastic team. You lads talking about them every week. What a game that would be with everything that was riding on it. Leeds, chance to cement themselves and push into the top 10. That game is meaningless because Liverpool are in the Super League. So that, that game tonight already, it, it, it's been announced less than 24 hours and already a fixture in English football has been completely devalued. And that is a high price to pay. A high price to pay. It might be might be a bit pie in the sky, this from me, but do we think that you're talking about there's a clear choice being made by these owners? I hesitate to say these clubs because there's a lot more to these clubs than just the owners that are, are, are making decisions, right? Um, but they've clearly made the choice for um, that market. To use your example, the one million Spurs fan in, in China or wherever around the world, that that is where they're going to focus on because that is their biggest market where they can make all the money right but there's a part of me that thinks a big part of football being the popular spectacle that it is worldwide and knowing the pandemic we see how games about crowds but is having the crowds and having the atmosphere there will if if there's kind of such a, a backlash that we've seen so far in the first 24 hours from fan groups from from governing bodies if this were to go ahead right this european super league and the fans of those clubs certainly the the british clubs i'm sure across italy and some spanish supporters as well if people aren't turning up to games or there are people turning up to the games but there's no no atmosphere generated because it's not you know it's not the core support turning up to games is that gonna affect what they will call their product and kind of kibosh this this Super League, or is it is it going to have absolutely no difference? I, I don't know if that's just a pipe dream from me, sort of cling on to something that might kind of take the legs from underneath this. What do you think, Norm? I, I, I love I love the idea. I mean, I love the thought of it, right? And that you know that would suggest that there is a real 
I guess, solidarity and, you know, kind of moral compass among football fans, right? But what I would say is that ultimately football support is generational, right? Because people like live and die basically, right? So it's, it's never permanent. So you have to look at the, the people who are of a certain age gap, right? Certain age category, right? So maybe people in their teens now, people, you know, young kids, kids who are going to be born, right? And, and it's all about how they support is shaped and their support now is shaped a lot through media, right? It's shaped through, and this sounds, I'm going to sound like a real middle-aged man, yeah, right? But ultimately it is shaped through what they consume through media, through, um, you know, FIFA, for example, games, games such as this. So I think there will be pushback from people of, let's say, your generation, mine, later generations. But I think the game itself has been so um, capitalist in its outlook so consumer-driven, so packaged for, what, the best part of 20 years now, coming up to 30 years, that I think the new generation of fan is probably, on the whole, not going to feel the, I guess, the anger that maybe we're feeling at people of our age. And I might be doing a disservice to a lot of people there, but it's just how when I see, when I, when I walk where I live, when I walk around, I see kids playing football in parks, you know, 11 years old, 12 years old, and... It's different kinds of strips. And okay, I live in London, so there's different teams that are supported, right? But, you know, you'll get kids in Barcelona tops, right? 30 years ago, when I was a kid, you didn't get kids in Barcelona tops, right? That just didn't happen, right? Um, and, and that's the game. No, because the game is... It, it, there are play A lot of kids now are invested more in the players to a certain extent. They are on their actual team. I think that that plays into it. So I don't necessarily think that these teams... They'll have a, they'll have a core of their support who will refuse to gun. But I unfortunately think that those seats will be taken up. I really do. Um, that, and that's... And that's why I don't think that any significant fan movement could end this. I think the only thing that fans can do from a, a fan of a club that isn't going to be one of those clubs is to basically just say, you know what, actually, we don't want to play these teams anymore. We don't want, we don't want them in our league. That, for me, is the real power statement. That's, that's how it could possibly stop someone going through. But I'll, I'll come back into something else as well. Just quickly on what you said, Alex, about um, fans in China not being interested in Spurs after finishing 15th in a 16-team league. The, the problem is, mate, is that... I think this league will end up being very competitive. I think it'll equalise a lot of those teams in it because it's it's going to be consistent, right? There's no relegation. Financially, they're probably going to be getting similar amounts of money. And in terms of the players they can attract, they're probably going to level out in, in terms of like, you know, so I, I don't think it'll be a case of Real Madrid or Juventus or like Man City winning it every year because financially, it'll, it'll equalise those clubs specifically. Um, so that'll be, that'll be my um, counter against that. I think it will be competitive, but it'll just be... You know, I think I listened to um, Marcus being a former, like, you know, kind of championship midfielder on um, the Guardian Football podcast. And he said, basically, on a personal level, I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch AC Milan Real Madrid four times a season. I don't want to watch, you know, these teams just play each other in and out constantly. And I think that's where, you know, they might get a bit of pushback. But I think in terms of fans of the clubs and the market itself, I just don't think that'll, that'll be, there'll be an impact, unfortunately. I think... Mike, if you don't mind me jumping in here just really quickly, because I'd love to touch on what you said before, but to come back to you on that a little bit, Spurs, and again, Spurs or Arsenal is the two weakest, probably the two weakest teams of everyone who's been invited, are very naive if they think this is the finished product. Do you know what? what once, once you're in control of your own football uh, infrastructure, like these teams are going to be, there'll be MLS teams added. There'll be teams from China added. There'll be teams from South America added if they can bring. Um, enough broadcasting revenue. 
Do you know what I mean? So there might eventually be relegation. You've got to look at the current football clubs at the minute, Arsenal. I'm going to use the examples particularly of Liverpool and Manchester United, who were allegedly the big drivers behind Project Big Picture and were allegedly the big drivers behind this one here. And throw Arsenal in a little bit as well, all with US ownership. They look at the rest of the league and they think, well, you know, even though they get twice as much money out of the league in terms of prize money and broadcast money, they think that Crystal Palace and Newcastle United and Aston Villa, they think that we're overpaid as football clubs. We get too much of the money that's generated. Even though they get loads more, they think we get too much because the vast majority of broadcast deals, they would say, are driven by them. They're not going to change that when they're in when they're in the new league. So I'm not necessarily saying that you're going to be wrong initially, but but you God, you'd hope Spurs and Arsenal had really considered the fact, you know, once you once you jump in the piranha pool, you know, you, you're going to get bitten essentially, and 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 that that would worry me as well as a Spurs and Arsenal fan thinking, oh, we're gonna we're gonna move away from the FA and UEFA and FIFA, who aren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Quite right, what what you said before, but there are um, structures there. To, to, to make sure things happen the correct way to uh, enable some level of competitive spirit. I wouldn't want to put my football club's future in the hands of Man United and Liverpool. They've already shown what they're capable of. But just to your point about, um, you know, and Mike, your original question about, you know, do, do football clubs need these fans in these stadiums to, act to, for, to become a product? I think another very real fear of this is majority games won't be played in these stadiums. They'll be played in Melbourne. They'll be played in Shanghai. They'll be played in Los Angeles. Liverpool can attract 96,000 people to the MCG for, for a game of football. Now, they might not attract them every time, but... Great point, this, by the way. That's a great yeah. point. So, and, 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 then, and again, to go back to what you were saying before, Norman, about this is, you know, this was first proposed, what, 2008? When it was, um, what did they call it? Game 39, was it? Yeah. So it's it's not it's not a new thing, and I think it, to to bring it back to to what we're talking about overall, like the most successful, this is probably a controversial point, and I don't know enough about the you know the history of British exports, but in terms of cultural ex- exports from this country, football is pretty high up on the list of things that have positively positively influenced the world. And why is that? It's it's a simple game that anyone can play. You don't need gear. You just need a rock and, you know, lots of parts of the world, whatever you can get your hands on. To be a football, you need two objects to make a goal and you can play football. And the beauty about English football in particular and why fans traditionally, and I think still like English football, is that mobility aspect. So Southend United, who are currently facing relegation from League Two, if they have a good decade, they could be in the Premier League. They could be in the Champions League. And that that, that is a, a kind of success story and a romance story that you get a lot more in English football than you do in other European leagues. And it's just so offensive that these, you know, they're all foreign owners. And don't get us wrong, there are some good foreign owners in English football. You look at Leicester City's owners aren't from this country. Fantastic. You look at the owner of Newcastle United. Shite. Terrible. So it's not just about being foreign or foreign ownership. But you look, particularly US owners, um, and you look at the way that the Glazers bought Manchester United again, it's a different story for a different podcast, but that really should have been game over. Someone, somewhere, should have stood up and said, no, you can't do that. You, you cannot do that. What you've done there is not right. And, and the cowardice of, of, of people, whether it's government, the football authorities, whatever it is, has led us to this point. And this is, this is the key point to me, lads, is if that same cowardice is on display right now, forget about the 
um, offensiveness of the Super League, what's the next thing down the line? Because if these, if you, these people, if you allow them to continue to take and continue to, to bully like they're doing, you know, you, you aren't a million miles away from franchise football. And that, again, if I was a Liverpool or a Spurs fan, this is this is probably the only day, Norman, I don't know if you agree. Mike, you as well, obviously, because it's, it's not the Premier League, but it's the same thing. I am delighted, delighted that my football club are nowhere near this. The, like it, 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 it makes it worth being shite, not winning football matches, mm. getting relegated to be a million miles away from stuff like this. Because like I said earlier in the show, I cannot see how how these clubs move on from this. This isn't a just move on and call it quits. The the clubs have been have been too cynical and secretive. You've got Agnelli at Juventus, as the chief of UEFA has come out to say, been openly lying to him and other people at UEFA, like, like just telling straight up lies about their intentions. There's no going back from this, and I'm just delighted that my football club is a million miles from it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm with you. I think you would be heartbroken. You pointed out at the top of the the top of the show those fans of those clubs. Now, it's not often that Liverpool, Man United fans will get sympathy <laughs> um, from from the rest of us, but that is essentially the death sentence for your club as it has grown over 100, 150 years. Well, it's these clubs, right, as institutions of the local community as 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 sporting institutions, right? And that's the important word, isn't it? Sport. Like if it goes into this um this European Super League, then it it ceases to be sports. It loses so many of those elements that that make it. You were talking about that journey uh, of of South End potentially going up to the Premier League. I'd I'd kind of uh, I would agree to you with a certain point on that. I think I think in England, we're in a better position than than most. The depth of our our football is incredible. But even me, as a fan of a team in League One, I now see a a ceiling on what my club could potentially do in the future. So you know, it, it has been it has been coming. It's been a product of how football has developed in in this country as well. Despite the depth we've got, I still think as an Ipswich fan. Yes, we could get into the Premier League. That would be amazing. But what do we what do we possibly do from there? Even twenty odd years ago, managed to finish fifth, granted, get relegated the season after. But you know, you can you can do that. And then you look ten, you know, ten years before that, thirty, thirty five, forty years ago, you can go up and within the first season or two of being being in the top flight, you can be challenging for a title if you have a good year, right? Now that's I know that's never going to be a possibility um for my team with football as it is and that's 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 sad but i guess this is just a natural um kind of it's a it's the natural progression of of that and 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 how the game in this country has gone as well we've 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 laid the the foundation for these clubs to be able to do that as you say we've allowed them to get away with it and and kind of have their own way and you know, commercialisation has been at the centre of everything of developing the Premier League. And should we be surprised and should Premier League be so kind of on its high horse that this has actually happened because they've created the monster? Can I just, can I disagree with you slightly? Um, I, I, I do agree. You are right in terms of the, the ceiling of what is achievable for anyone, any small to medium sized club who is entering the Premier League at the first stage. I mean, Norwich City are maybe a good example of that. Pissed the Championship, got 21 points from 38 games of Pissed the Championship again. And that might be a simplistic way of looking at it, but it is so hard to do um, what teams did in the past, to do what Newcastle did under Keegan. 
is probably the last great example of a team coming up from nowhere and immediately becoming one of the best teams in the division. But what I will say to you, though, Mike, to, to give you some encouragement, hopefully, if it wasn't possible, what you're saying, if it was impossible, then the clubs who are trying to do this would not be doing it. They fear, and, and it's the Leicester City one is the greatest example, and I remember it from the time it's been repeated today, an owner of a Premier League club is recorded speaking to an independent journalist, Miguel Delaney, who's, who's been on the podcast before, saying, when asked about Leicester, Leicester City's Premier League success, he said, brilliant, it's a fairy tale, but we'll make sure it never happens again. So so things are possible. Do you know what I mean? There, there is that, that, while there is, even if it's the smallest possibility, that's what scares them. And that's, that's, what, that's what has driven this. So these lads want to stay in the Premier League. They're already, so for example, Spurs, Spurs' wage bill is nearly double Newcastle's, uh, for example. And Spurs played Newcastle last week, two shy teams, drew twos each. And, and that to them is like unpalatable. That's like unacceptable. We should not be allowed to do that. Not can we do it, how do we do it, is we should not be allowed. And that's an extreme example for the for this podcast. But it's 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 a case of they want to be in this league, this European Super League, and they want to have such a financial incentive that, uh, sorry, a financial advantage, that what West Ham have done this season under David Moyes, I mean, don't get us wrong, they're, they're only fourth, and, and they might not be fourth after the night. They might end up finishing seventh, who knows? But they want to seek to destroy that from from it being an improbability to an impossibility. And I would still argue at the minute, you've still got Leicester City winning the Premier League in 15-16. You've still got West Ham. And the, these things are, are too few and far between, like you're correctly saying, Mike, because what you know you can reel them off. You're Everton in 2004, five finishing in the top four. After that, you've got to look at Newcastle finishing fifth, probably should have finished in the top four that season on a Pardew. After that, they won. Like there, there literally isn't anyone outside of the, apart from maybe you could say Spurs' rise at the start of the of, of um, the last decade under Redknapp, who, by the way, hilariously has been touted by some pundits for the job at David Will Park. That. Um, <laughs> so it is it is still possible, and that mobility is still possible, and that's what scares them. And that's, to bring it back to my earlier points, they have built these reputations and these brands. You know, people in... Um, in North London support Arsenal and Spurs predominantly purely based on where they were born. There's not. It's almost like shouldn't be a decision, should it? It's not something mm -hmm. that you can choose, allegedly, your support of a football club. It's different for international fans, but for us, Mike, you were born in Ipswich, you're going to support Ipswich. It's, a, it's like a curse. You, if you're a football fan <laughs> and you're born yeah. in Ipswich, you have no to... No glory hunting there. Yeah, it's the same for me in, for, for me in Norman in, in, in Newcastle. So the football clubs exist for a reason. Once your football club becomes for the international market, or the lads in in wherever uh, who might who might pay uh, three hundred and seventy five dollars to watch a game at the MCG rather than the Liverpool fan who thinks forty two quid's too expensive and does a walkout, um, it wasn't forty two quid; it was seventy seven quid. But you know what I mean. In twenty sixteen, what that scared the Liverpool ownership because they were forced forced against their will to go back on on their plans to rip rip fans' eyeballs out. What they want to do is get rid of those fans. We'll go to Shanghai, we'll go to Beijing, well, you know, we'll go to these places, people pay five times as much. Fuck the rest of them. I I think look I, I want to take it back to the Premier League and people on Sky, etc. 
calling this out, right? I mean, it's it's basically like shit telling shite it stinks, right? That's what it, that's what it is. Um, so what what it's got me thinking, right? And obviously this this anger that we're feeling now, this frustration that we're feeling now, right? To honest, to a certain extent, it, it's almost has like the feel of something that could be quite revolutionary in the game, in the sense that there's going to be a lot of fans question it. And Alex, you mentioned, you know, after Mike saying that, um, you know, he, he already he already knows as an Ipswich fan the chances of actually them having any kind of success in the future are, are minimal because of how, how the game is, right? And and you're saying that, well, at least the, the chance still does exist on, to a certain extent. But the way I look at it is, right, is the game over the last 30 years, if you look at the wage disparities between players in, in the um, top flight 30 years ago to players in the bottom division, right, there is no way they'd be on the level that they are now. And this is another this is another thing. It, it's it's all kind of part of the same, the same industry. Like, we, we can... We can complain as much as we want about this. We can say this is disgusting. Pundits on TV can say it's disgusting. Ex-players can say it's disgusting. So many people can, yet what what we're doing is we're still ultimately trying to, to kind of save something that is absolutely ruined on many levels in any ways, you know what I mean? So what I would like to say ultimately is, and it won't happen, but you know, it, it could be a pipe dream, is if fans are going to really kind of kick off about this, if the league is going to kick off about this, then maybe... It's the time for like a kind of reassessment of it all, how it all operates. Because, in my opinion, a player in League Two shouldn't be on like four or five thousand times less per week than a player in the top flight. And this, this to me is actually in many, in many, on many respects, it's almost like an ideal opportunity to kind of just kind of rip it all open and say, right, we've got this wrong. Look what it's led to. Look what it's led to. We need to make changes. And it actually got me thinking about Bayern Munich. And I'm not saying Bayern Munich aren't going to join this league, right? I mean, ultimately, Bayern Munich are huge. I mean, you know, you look at the two clubs who are kind of um, putting the brakes on. It's the two clubs who are in last season's Champions League final, right? I mean, it's ridiculous to think you have an ASL where the two clubs in last season's final are kind of holding off a bit. And PSG looked at owned by the Qataris, right? Morally, there's there's just nothing there, right? I mean, ultimately, the only hope you've got is, is that France and French people tend to be very anti-authoritarian. So if those fans are being told something's happening, there's every chance they might kick off. By Munich, it's the 50 plus one aspect of it that might play into it. And you're kind of hoping that they, if they refuse to... They refuse to come in if there's enough groundswell amongst fans and amongst kind of you know big people within the game. Then it might, as I say, it might actually lead to some long-term improvements in those clubs who are joining the ESL. You know what? Catch you later. Like see you later. The game is better. Off. The game in this country and like countries is going to be better off without them. So that kind of brings us to the nub of it. Then, what do we think will actually? happen with this um said this is kind of a step change from what was discussed with project big picture but there seems to be a lot in place here the funding the you know they're they're ready their legal team against challenges but we've seen fifa saying that players playing in these competitions won't be eligible for international um international matches uefa have obviously rallied against it all of the 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 leagues involved saying that they won't accept these teams into the league as well what do we practically think will happen? What's the next step? Is this gonna is this gonna be reality? And they're just gonna they're, they're gonna you know steamroller all these all these kind of complaints and, and blockades and do their own thing. Uh, Alex, I know if you want to kick us off, what do you see further down the line? Is this actually gonna be a reality in the next couple of years? Well, according to the the statement last night, this is starting in August. Um, which is only a couple of months away. I think that the meeting of the other 14 Premier League clubs tomorrow, of which the, the six have not been invited to, 
and it's a formal Premier League meeting, by the way. So that in itself is quite extraordinary. That there's a, a you know, what, what don't want to get into Newcastle takeover talk here, but I felt there was a little bit of a misunderstanding last year about what the Premier League actually is. And the Premier League is just 20 blokes who own football club who would appoint some executives to run on their behalf. That is the Premier League. That's what it is. So for the 14 to, to exclude the six is quite a, a big moment. You know, there have been times in the past when the 14 Project Big Picture have got together to talk about things of their own volition. And, but this is a, a genuine Premier League meeting chaired by Richard Masters. Other Premier League executives will be there. And I think, I think what... <laughs> There's two. There's two ways this ultimately this goes. The, the European Super League happens, or it doesn't. Now, why? Why has the European Super League come about? Well, the, the Champions League clubs have been pushing UEFA for years now for reforms to the Champions League, which does much of the same thing, protects their interests. Now, the 2024 proposals, which UEFA confirmed today, already make it somewhat of a closed shop. And just just to make sure everyone knows what that means. Uh, from 2024, you can have legacy participation in the Champions League. So 2024, there'll be the Champions League, which will be 36 teams playing, um, what, uh, two or three, uh, two league tables, um, or four, or, you know, league tables, which they play twice as many games as they do at the minute. Then you're down to the last 16. Um, total shit show, in my opinion. But the key point is they're going to introduce a third European competition, just like they used to be for the Cup Winners' Cup for people who finish like, you know, seventh to ninth in the domestic division. Uh, and if, say, you're Manchester United and you finish eighth uh, in the Premier League and West Ham finish fourth for the first time, uh, Man United will still get that Champions League spot because of their um, history in the competition. And that wasn't enough for the Super Club. So UEFA, by the way, already capitulated in that respect. So they can be as angry as they want today. They've already capitulated in, in, in some respects to those clubs to do that. Now, but what, why are the clubs so keen to do it? Well, let's look at the clubs who are in the who are who, the super clubs, the big clubs, the best clubs. Real Madrid, billion billion euros in debt. Um, Barcelona, at least a billion, probably more euros in debt. Um, Inter Milan, owners have pulled out Chinese. The Communist Party has ordered all European investments to be pulled because of whatever reason. Um, desperate for an owner, PIF interested. AC Milan on the brink of, the brink of bankruptcy a couple of years ago, the brink of administration. Um, Spurs, hundred million pounds government loan just to just to stay afloat this year. Arsenal, profitable for the whole life of the club's history, recorded a ninety million pound loss this last financial year. These are these are not the, the examples of how to run football clubs. These are these are football clubs who are desperate, and and there's what they're not going to go out of business because they're too big. I'm not suggesting that they're near financial ruin. They've got, um, you know, billionaire owners, some of them, but they, I think, those clubs know that they are close. They are they are close to losing what they believe they have built by themselves, and that's access to these foreign markets and farm bases who are consumed by success and winning football matches. And they know that, the t you know, Spurs this season, seventh, just sacked the manager today. I mean, it's almost like a joke, isn't it? Like Spurs want to join the European Super League. By the way, we're going to sack our manager because we're shit. It doesn't make sense. Arsenal need a 97th minute winner to beat uh, Fulham, who've won five Premier League games all season yesterday. Sure. Yeah, they're going to join the European four. They're going to join the European Super League. It, it's all like you couldn't, you couldn't write it. But what these clubs have recognised is that you know, I'll give you an example. They're not they're not even a particularly well run club, West Ham or Leicester City. Leicester City have got good owners, but they have they haven't put in 
hundreds of millions of pounds into their football clubs to try and supersede other people. They're just well-run, like football clubs, Leicester in particular, not so much West Ham, but Leicester, fantastic community engagement, fantastic supporter relations, and it's all going well. And that's, that scares Arsenal and Spurs in particular because they're already miles behind them. When's the last time Arsenal finished above Leicester? You've, got, you've probably got to go back, you know, once in the last five seasons. That, that's not a fluke. That's that's not a one-off. They're, and they're falling behind and behind and behind. And, and these clubs view this as the last chance to to redress what's going on. So bring it back. I've gone a long way around answering this. To bring it back to your answer, actual question, what happens next? Are these clubs going to gamble on crawling back tail between their legs and continuing as normal, which hasn't been going great for them? Or are they going to say, well, fuck yous then. I'll take me cut of the five billion, and we'll we'll go from there, and we'll let the, we'll let the lawyers see how much we can recover. So I think it's done. I I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if 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 I never go to the Emirates again as an away fan, or and I never get to see Spurs' new stadium because I for the for the um, example I've just given you there, I don't understand how they can go back on this, and I think it's very likely that the other Premier League clubs, and it'll be the same in other leagues as well, you know, Spanish league, are, are left with no choice. Because they haven't been consulted about this, they've been threatened into it, they've been bullied into it, and there's, a, there's, a, you know, you, you are still dealing with rich men at the end of the day who own these football clubs, who have got that arrogance about them, who have got that belief about them, that self belief through their exploits in business or football, whatever it may be. They aren't just going to roll over and die because that's the option. Is, the option presented to them is never finish above sixth again in the Premier League ever in your history. Or expel these clubs from the league, and I know which one they'll choose. Well, it, it might be of some comfort to you to hear some of the the words that some of the owners, Florentino Perez in particular, um, came out with reasons why they're actually doing this, um, <laughs> mate. So, um, in kind of response to, to to your comments there, apparently Perez, um, the the president at Real Madrid, was saying that this would help football at every level, um, and. I quote, football is the only global sport in the world with more than 4 billion fans. And our responsibility as big clubs is to respond to their desires. So they are beholden to do this. There's there's absolutely no way out for them, Norm, is there? It's, um, it's just absolute unbridled capitalistic greed, isn't it? There's no other two ways about it. Perez is just about making as much money as he possibly can for himself and for his football club. I mean, the, it, it's absolutely horrific what he's just said there. They just don't care at all. Um, it, the the pattern's the same as the um, Project Big Picture, right? This will help all the clubs. I mean, it just won't. It, it won't. And, and, it's, and again, it, it's another huge insult to fans to, to see, like, this is, this is good for you. Oh, this is good for you because... No, it's not, is it? I mean, and, and it's it's treating people with absolute contempt. And I think the only because this is happening now, right? I mean, the reality is, right? Project Big Picture, that was, you know, another warning saying. I mean, I'd even go back to stupid things like, you know, basically Carlos Tevez being owned by an agent instead of a football club. You know, the, the way that money operates in the game now is just it is so irreparable the damage that's being caused that this is only heading one way. And people like Florentino Perez can can see as much as they like about it being um, because the market demands it, right? It's 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 not the fact that the market demands it; it's the fact that a market was made out of these football clubs in the first place. Um, you know, these institutions 
are incredibly important to people's lives, especially, you know, you look at clubs like Liverpool, look at clubs like Man United, the fact that these are clubs that were founded on, I guess, in working class areas, right? They, they mean something to the region, right? They really mean something. They're part of people's lifeblood. And now all they are is, as Alex said before, they're basically on their way to being franchises. That's what they are. They're just, it's just like you're rip, literally ripping the soul out of um, out of cities. That's what it feels like. And Perez can say that as much as he wants. It's it's disgusting. And ultimately, um, the European Super League is going to happen. And I guess, to a certain extent, it's down to the Premier League to decide what they want to do with those clubs. From a fan's perspective, I think the vast majority of fans will just want to see these clubs expelled. I do. I don't care. I don't care about Liverpool and Man U in, in the way that they're going to operate from now on. I don't want that. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to play alongside them. Let's let's kick, kick them out. Kick them out. The, the issue we've got, though, and I agree with you, is what do the fans of those clubs do who don't want it? And, and they're, again, I say you feel for them because they are going to stick by their, their clubs. And, and I think that will be one of the conversations tomorrow is, the fact that this has unified so many people in so many countries on so many levels, if you kick them out, which I hope they do, but even if you do, you risk splitting that unity because then it becomes the, the fans of Atletico Madrid or whoever or Chelsea, they then bear the consequences. And that's the nasty thing about the way it's been done, isn't it? What, what I've wanted to say since the start of this show, Mike, is just how fucking amateur the whole thing has been this this hasn't been some slick operation with some um you know stakeholder engagement and fantastic video and a really well designed plan even if it's bullshit even if they're trying to mislead you they haven't even tried to do that it's almost just like well we're Atletico Madrid right you've won one league title in like 30 years or something um you're, you're 500 million in debt because your Azerbaijan owner looks like they're pulling out. Um, and I've talked about the English examples, the Spanish examples, and, and so the, a couple of the Italian examples as well. Um, it's almost like the, they've just assumed, because the, the conversation today is, oh, they, they will have expected the backlash. I don't think they'd expect uh, Emmanuel Macron to get involved. You know what I mean? They probably didn't have him down on the list. Um, I don't know about the political response in Spain, but I, you know, I assume there has been some. I don't think they expected today. You know, um, Oliver Dowden has launched the much vaulted and waited for promise from the 2019 Conservative Manifesto, the fan-led review into football, which specifically indicates that they will look into appointing an independent arbiter, which is the game has needed for so long. The reason the game is fucked is because they run themselves. It's like any organization. If you let them run themselves with other people's money, it'll be fucked. And that that's all of the things that Norman's correctly says have come from that because when, because the league runs itself, it's motivated only by itself. And therefore you know, very few things can come of it. So, you know, I understand the skepticism about, about the fan-led review into football as, as you know, me and my colleagues at the Supporters Trust are taking it seriously and we're going to work with the FSA in it. We're going to put our own viewpoints across. To, to go back to what Norman said earlier, uh, you know, th this has to be a line in the sand moment. It has to be. And, and the, these clubs here, it's it's the reason I want to highlight the amateur, how amateur the launch has been and, and the fact that it's been fucking released, like, you know, what's, you know, rather than wait until the end of the season or rather than doing it at the transfer window or rather, you know, it, it, it's almost like they're just, they're so arrogant. They believe that they are football. They believe that football can't exist without them. It's one hell of a gamble, lads. It's one hell of a gamble because if, if they go to this European Super League and fans organise themselves and say, no, nah, 
you're out of the league, which I believe creates the problem I talked about earlier about teams that are used to winning 70% of their, even when they have a bad season, winning 70% of their fixtures in all competitions. If that's no longer the case, they've got a problem. What if the league fails? You you want to you want to side with JP Morgan, lads? You want to see how long they hang around if they're not making any money? You think Sky and Amazon and BT and Netflix? You think you think they're not looking at the reaction of this, thinking, don't know about getting involved in this. Could be a serious backlash if we get involved in this. And and I don't know about these things. I could be massively overselling how they look at these things. And maybe maybe it's not even about fans in this country. Maybe it's about the markets in in other nations and other parts of the world who don't give a shit about the kind of things we're talking about on this podcast. But God, it's one hell of a gamble. Because if you're out of the league and the Super Leagues fails, <laughs> see you in the conference. It's, it's an interesting point, actually, there, about how amateur the the actual launch itself has been. It brings to one point you you made there about the pure arrogance that is definitely a factor but another factor is that it's a very small group of people that are making these decisions we talk about these clubs football clubs you know they're massive presence worldwide but in the context of things they're not actually that big businesses um you know they haven't they haven't got kind of the expertise or structures and governance of kind of a lot of like big businesses get as they grow to to do these things properly and and, and do all of that so what you get is a, a lot of power in these kind of decisions made by a small group of people with with kind of yeah their blinkers on and, and very vested interests you don't have the structure that a, a big global multinational company will, will, will often have to to do these things properly and that's kind of yeah that, that, that's part of the reason why why we are where we are to, today I, I guess as well um one thing that i just wanted to quickly touch on that i realized we haven't looked at yet is the players at these clubs as well um obviously the 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 massive impact is going to be on the fans and we think of players as as kind of very distant from us now but the reality is there's going to be a lot of players I reckon at these at these clubs who will feel poor, you know they might feel betrayed about this they might feel they come from you know working class backgrounds where they've 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 been parts of clubs and been fans of clubs that have meant a lot to them there's going to be a lot of players in very difficult positions here as well if this goes through they're not allowed to play for their country um they're being you know forced to play for this it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out and we've seen some murmurings from a few players but whether there's sort of concerted action and, and a revolt from from some of these players at these at these top clubs as well um i don't know if either of you have any thoughts on that or, or any closing thoughts because i think we've covered a, a lot of ground that's one thing that kind of i started thinking about as we we're discussing this that we haven't really thought about i'm skeptical on a impactful players backlash I think we'll get a lot of players in the media expressing their contempt for it, but at the same time, the amount of money that players are played at these clubs, I don't think it'll have a huge impact because there are there are principles, right? And then there's 250 grand a week. That's the reality of it, right? Um, so I think you know you look at let's you take the Premier League teams, right? You take the six teams that are in there. And you look at those clubs, and other than really Arsenal out of the six, most of those clubs' players won't have any connection with Man United other than the fact that they play for them um, and they get paid by them. It's a job, you know, that ultimately 
Um, Arsenal only because they've had a lot of young players come through, right? And they've got obviously, you know, roots in their community. But I genuinely think that you might get some players. Like, look, Harry Kane, Harry Kane, for example, been at Spurs a long time, could say, you know what, I hate this, it's horrible. I want to move, but where's he going to move to? Real Madrid. Well, they're in the ESL anyways, aren't they? So I just think that ultimately, as much as I do, I love the idea of the kind of, you know, the shop floor revolting against the um, the bourgeoisie. I just think that the bourgeoisie, bourgeoisie pays them too much money to do so. I suppose, though, it will very much depend on what does happen next. So you are, I agree with you, and that was my first thought today. And even if these players wanted to, you know, the their contracts will be watertight about criticizing the club. And, you know, you know, football players are in the Premier League at the highest level are paid extreme sums of money. But ultimately you might get one or two prime contracts in your career. Um and are players going to risk that? The problem that the clubs might have, and, and if they go to the, the Super League and it and it does everything it wants them to do in terms of the money and they'll be okay. But if you're a player and you've only got what the plan for the Super League at the minute? What what is it? it's going to be? Fifteen teams, so that's playing each other twice. Um, Twenty eight games a season across that is they're going to just just say for example that you're going to play domestic football and the Super League. You're going to have to have one hell of a squad to deal with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Thirty eight game Premier League season, then twenty eight game Super League, potential domestic cup competitions. We don't know, and and the impact that would have would be massive. So. You've got to, will they be able to attract the players? And I kind of feel everything I was saying before about the viability of it. And yes, you've got this bank, investment bank, underwriting the success of it for the first few years. If it doesn't go as well as they'd hoped, attracting the caliber of player they want to attract might become difficult. And that might become a problem in itself because a lot of players, and this is, this is one of the, the interesting things I feel about international football at the minute is kind of the death of international football has always been cried about hasn't people have always been saying you know go back mike to when me and you were teenagers i don't know if you remember norman i don't know if it's the same for you when you were younger people were saying too many friendlies they, they shouldn't play the games the, the the managers won't have it well here we are you know it's, it's still going strong and one of the reasons international football has, has has always continued to thrive and it's the same as test cricket a little bit this is the players the young players still see playing for their country is the pinnacle of their career. And, and that is heartening. And I feel like if you take that away from them, yes, Marcus Rashford is probably a good example, a local lad at Manchester United who is clearly invested in his local community. Yeah, he might always want to leave because he, he, he doesn't agree. But but other players might think, well, you know, I only got one career. Do I really not want to play the World Cup? Do I really not want to play the, you know, get 30 to 60 goals for my country in the the privileges that bring for you in later life. And, and, and the, you know, football is about emotion at the end of the day. And you cannot be a hero for anyone playing Real Madrid four times a season in the European Super League because... So I, I get it, and I agree with you, Norman, for right now, but I think the long-term viability could be impacted by that, Mike. Well, here's hoping, anyway. Um, lads, we, I'm conscious we've covered a lot of ground and we could talk about this for another hour um but have we got any any other final thoughts before we wrap this up other than just keeping our fingers crossed that we wake up and this has all been a bad dream tomorrow i was just going to come back and i like to say quickly one quick point um i love the idea and i heard it today being mooted of them you know of, of fifa or uefa saying that you can't play for your country if you're playing this league the reality is right that 
the FIFA World Cup itself, the um, European Cup. I can't even remember what it's called. The European Championships. Um, there you go. <laughs> Kicking in now the age. Um, the so like these competitions are already like horrifically um, reliant on gigantic amounts of finance, and the big players are necessary for them. They'll come to a deal. They might make a few noises about banning players from playing for their countries. I just don't see it happening at all. Um, but hopefully, I'm proven wrong, mate. Would you wait for today? Have, have categorically said that players who, if, if this goes ahead, the, those players will be banned from Euro 2020. So, but UEFA and FIFA are, are not the same, and and I, th- I agree with what you're saying there generally. Um, but my final point, Mike, apart from the fact that listeners can catch these two lovely lads uh, every week having less serious conversations about the weekend's Premier League <laughs> football, and you're doing a show tomorrow night, I hope on the tenth or not tenth, but the six, the six, five or six fixtures from the Premier League weekend. So, please uh, have a look at True Faith on Patreon for that. But my, my my final point would be about this is that it's time to do something and not to get all self-righteous about this, but the reason we launched the 1892 pledge scheme wasn't just about Newcastle United. It's not just about the horrors that Mike Ashley has instilled in our football club. It's about football to me is, as I said, it's a societal thing. It's a cultural thing. I don't care about watching matches on the TV particularly, and I might be different than that. I like going to the match with you known, I like meeting up with friends and millions of people across this country are the same. You are, if you listen to this, you are going to have to do something probably to try and stop it. I look at the lads at Spion Cop today, Liverpool's uh, flag fan group from the cop already removed their flags from, from Anfield. So when we go to Anfield on Saturday at lunchtime, there'll be no flags on the cop um, fan flags. And that's, like that's not a massive thing. It's not going to change anything. But I, I, you have to say they've they've done something because tweeting is great and tweets and likes and that's nice. It's fantastic. It doesn't it doesn't do any harm. But you are you are football fans in this country and in other countries as well are going to have to do stuff to stop this from happening. And it might be making your um, voice heard to broadcasters, Amazon, um, Sky, BT. They pay people millions of pounds a year to make us like them through PR, through the way they present their product, they they will be very, very sensitive to this. It might take having to cancel a TV subscription, but anything you do is better than nothing. And if millions of people do something small, the effects will be very big. And it's our game. Do you mean that the, the football belongs to normal people? It doesn't belong to Stan Kroenke or FSG or the Glazers. They couldn't give a fuck about you and me. They never have, they never will but they're trying to destroy our game and we're going to have to do something about it. And I hope the other 14 Premier League clubs, that if I had to gamble with my life, I wouldn't trust any of them with anything. But we'll owe them a lot tomorrow if they make a proper statement. I suppose you know, we'll find out soon enough. But it is, it is going to take more than outrage to achieve something here for football fans. Yeah, well, I don't think we can sum that up any any better than you have, mate. So, yeah, I think I think we'll leave it there. And yeah, I guess it's it's up to us to to do what we can now. And uh, in a very old position of relying on the Premier League, Premier League clubs, and these other governing bodies um, that we are that we often decry to kind of to do as a favour as well. But um, lads, I wish we didn't have to talk about this. Um, but um, it, it's obviously a massive issue, as you say. That you know, it's time to time to do something about it and, and address it. So. Um, we'll wrap that up there. I'm sure we will be back to discuss uh, the next developments this, in this um, in the coming days, weeks and months. Um, 
but Norm, myself, and 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 you will be back tomorrow to do a uh, a uh, another normal prem patter for uh, Patreon subscribers uh, with a bit more of a light-hearted touch. Um, I guess talking about yeah whether these games actually we'll mean anything ignore. at all. Yeah, from... we'll just ignore. We'll ignore. Like even though Liverpool and Man U have played, we're just not going to talk about them at all. We'll just talk about their opponent. Uh, we we can do that. I'll back us to talk about a goalless draw at the bottom of the table for a good half hour, anyway. So I think we're, <laughs> we're I think we're well set. Um, but um, yeah, um, I think it's time to wrap it up, listeners. Thank you um, for for giving us time and, and listening. And yeah, we'll just echo Alex's words. It's time for us to to do what we can. If if everyone does a little something, then you never know what we can achieve. So yeah, time to time to fight for the game we all love. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.